0: Good morning. I'm Peggy. Um, This morning I'm reading from Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the uh, lead, lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. Um, and if you're new or you've uh, never heard me preach before, I was out, out of town um, here and there this summer. And um, yeah, I have a speech impediment, so I just want to give you a heads up on that again if you're new or uh, you forgot anything like that. Oh, you're still connected. Hey. That's a, need a hand? Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right, I don't know what I'm doing. We'd probably both get shocked. but yeah, we say um, there is, there's, actually that's like the third reminder I've had this morning. I could share a phrase we use here and embrace, and in fact it's even um, shaped us in our home a lot here l- lately is, uh, we have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. And that's um, really on a big spiritual lo- lo- level, that's because of the good news of Jesus. has shaped us that we are set free and um, that, that we can grow and that His grace God's undeserved favor compels us to grow and to obey. Him and to not wallow in sin again. That's been a very, very practical truth in our home, and it also shows up in things like that. Like you're walking off connected, or Jenny. I think she talked. Jenny almost walked up here early to do the welcome. I was the one that started clapping like halfway through the song because I thought it was over. Um, So we embrace that uh, here, right? That we don't need to impress anyone. We can make fun of ourselves sometimes and enjoy it um, together. So I, on that note, I told you all I gutter, right? Okay, so we all got that, so you know. Um, and also, um, we're going to get into our time here pretty quickly in Ephesians 4. We've been walking through it, and I'm excited to be back in it together. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians 4, verses uh, 26 and 27. If you don't have one, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, um, and somebody will get you one. Okay, we want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word to read, to follow along, and to, uh, to make their own. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene... ...por favor le canto su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted... Um, y esta mañana estamos en Efesios capítulo 4 versículo 26 so um, again want to make sure we can all have a copy of god 's word to keep so if you don't own one please keep this okay put your name in it underline stuff put question marks in there um, really god's word is, uh, uh, is the only hope to really transform our, our hearts and open our eyes to who God is and who we are and who he's made us to be through faith in Christ all right let's go ahead and pray as we continue um, on together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning we have to be here together. Um, Lord, even as we've just sung and experienced and shared, there's we're all coming in here in very different places, and yet you've called us to come together. Uh, Lord, to hear your good news together. That, that even as we sing, we, we sing um, out of our own mouths, we sing to you, and yet you've Chosen to organize it in such a way that we sing alongside others, or that we hear other people declaring truths that uh, we all need to be reminded of. And so, Lord, uh, we trust that through your Holy Spirit, even through this time in your word, that you will edify, Lord, encourage those who need to be encouraged, Lord, that you will convict those of us who need to be convicted, convict, and that you will lead us all, again, individually and as a community, to respond. To the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So as you, as you heard there in the, in the scripture that Peggy read um, together, right, you could kind of look at this and be like, oh, okay, this is the angry sermon or the anger sermon, which I don't know why I'm preaching that. I know nothing about that. Um, you, those of you who know me well enough can snicker at that. Um, man, that was kind of an old person phrase right there. Um, I'm getting there, right? Um, got gray hair in my beard too to, 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 Prove it, but we could read this and think, okay, this is the this is the a, okay, this is a, a sermon about anger and kind of move on from there. Well, as I was preparing for this, a story came to mind that I heard way back when I was in college. I think a freshman in college. I heard a story about the um, the guy Chuck Chuck Smith. Uh, how many of you you've heard of Chuck Smith? He um, founded the Calvary Chapel Church and um, movement, and um, he told a story about the early days in his. Ministry where he um, he was working some construction, you know, kind of doing like church planters do, just different things, you know, while the church was kind of getting going. And he talked about anger that he had and that he had walked through for many years in his life. And he was out there, you know, working with mostly non Christians and trying to kind of build this church and you know share his faith. And he's you know hammering and uh, hits his thumb with the hammer. And just like that, drops the F-bomb, okay? If you don't know what that is, come up after. We could talk about it. But, um, you know, kind of the, like, mother of all, you know, cuss words. And chucks the hammer, um, not because his name's Chuck, right? (laughs) Throws the hammer um, and just throws it out into a field without even thinking about it. And then is just kind of, you know, after kind of adrenaline comes, he's like, what did I just do? and he's walking out to pick up the hammer and he's out there and he's doing something that he done time and time again god I'm, i can't believe i've done this again i'm so sorry i'm going to make you you know i'm going to make you proud i'm going to i'm going to kick this old habit right this thing i've done an anger something i've been walking through for so long well i'm going to i'm going to take care of it god i won't do it again perhaps in our time of confession that's uh, a, a common theme perhaps some of us maybe walk through like man I, here I am again I said I wouldn't do it but here I am again I'm not gonna do it anymore and that would be an easy place and, and even as Chuck Smith was telling that story that would be an easy way to think where he said and that's how I figured you know oh, one, two, three. these easy steps you know follow this and you too can kick your anger habit you know do whatever it is you know Put on an anger patch and get slow deposis over a couple weeks and you'll be off, you know, anger for a while. And we insert, insert whatever it is, whatever you struggle with, um, that's how we tend to approach life. It's like, oh, stop doing this, kind of put this on, put this off and um, focus on this thing. And then, and then so we're talking about anger this week. We'll be talking about um, honesty and stealing next week. So we'll kind of learn more about that, you know. But that's not where he went with it, and that's not where we're going to go this morning. Because what we tend to do is we tend to, to, to take our eyes off of the reality of who God is and what he says about our whole lives and our whole hearts, and we just tend to focus in on these things that we think we can do to give ourselves a better life, to make God more happy with us, things like that. And what, what Chuck did in that moment, Chuck Smith, is he said, he said, God, you know my heart. You know what I need. I surrender t- to you. So as we approach this sermon this morning or this, this, this text together in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, we can't just focus in there, right? We can't just kind of zoom in too quickly. We need to remember where we are in this whole, this whole book, this whole time in Ephesians. Paul has been talking to a group of people about what it means to belong to Jesus to be his people on an individual level, on a communal level. This is what life looks like to put your faith in Jesus. And if you recall right, um, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 really hits on some heart level theology, some theological truth, and then beginning in chapter 4 in the, in the first part of it, it now gets into the, the application of that care, okay, the implications of very practically, this is now how you live out those things that are true. Okay, so just to help us recall, if you remember back in chapter 2, and if you have your Bible, you can turn with me back there, where Paul says this, he kind of drops this theological bomb. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, okay? And this world means basically the systems and, st- and structures of which we're all a part if we haven't put our faith in Jesus, okay? He's saying you, you are dead and you continue to walk as a dead person would walk, okay? You do dead people things, all right, you, you, you're going to be angry. You're going to drop F-bombs. You're going to throw hammers. You're going to do this stuff because that's what dead people do. That's a, that's a fruit. That's a result of a dead heart, which though God created us to know him intimately and personally, when sin entered into the world, we all individually and corporately as a human race said, no, thanks, God. I don't want it your way. I want to go my way. Okay, and that's in a nutshell, that's sin. Okay, that's not God. That's, that's not your way, that's my way. That's all take it from here in all its different forms that that shows up. And that's what this is saying here is that we are all dead naturally apart from Christ. And then down in verse five, this incredible good news, he says, even when we were dead. So back up there, verse four, some of the best words in all of scripture when we ever see are but God. All right, but God, wherever that shows up, it's usually good news. And if it's not instant good news right there, it means good news is coming, okay? So kind of perk up because you're about to hear some good news. So in this case, so we're dead. It goes on, we're children of wrath, just like everyone else, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And then even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then goes on, we now pick up in, in, in verse eight, right? So we're dead apart from him and God intervenes. God does something we could never do on our own. Okay, so you can see now, right? Where if you just focus in on anger, first you're gonna miss the big point. You're gonna be left frustrated and struggling because we focus in on the wrong thing. If you're still dead, right? You're gonna still do dead people things. You're just gonna be more and more frustrated trying to be alive out of your own strength, out of your own effort. And so whether you've put your faith in Jesus before, you are a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're born again, that's where this kind of language comes from as we've just seen. You've gone from death to life. You've, you've, you've seen, God, though I have turned away from you, though I have wandered, you have, um, by your grace, your undeserved favor, you've, 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 you've poured out your wrath that I deserve, which again, Ephesians 2, 4 really hammers on. And, and Lord, I put my trust in you. Thank you that through Jesus, your only son, I can now be called a son. Because of his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the dead, I now go from being an enemy to a child. And then we see that fleshed out even more as we pick up in um, in, in, in verse in, in verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For by grace you have been saved. That's undeserved favor through faith right? That's a transfer of trust. And even that is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So that's where you see this. This is what God has done. He has transformed you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you've gone from death to life, right? Just like Jesus, death on the cross, victorious life, raised from the dead, okay? So that, you might now live according to the works that God has created you for, has called you to, that he's planned you for, again, individually and communally. Okay, so are y'all tracking with me now? Okay, are you seeing where it would be unloving and, and I think untrue to God's word to just focus in now and just say, so here's the angry sermon. It actually goes something more like this. Now you can pick up with me if you haven't been following along in your Bible, we gave you the option, right? We offered you one. I'm sorry, I didn't have them up here on the screen. This was kind of a last minute edition, ad- kind of, you know. Um, but now you can pick up with me and we're gonna read um, in beginning in verse 22. Okay, so you can again see this all come together where before we get to the anger part, he talks about now this is, here's the application of your faith. You believe these things in your mind, in your heart. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. And if you're like me, you're like, well, now what? What do I do with this? What does it even mean? Well, now, again, in chapter four, and then specifically here in verse 22, he starts to explain it. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Okay, put off when you were dead. Okay, put off that old man, that old woman, that old self. And then And he says in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, right? So a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. It's incredibly important. There's this day in and day out. Okay, hear me now. Look at me. Moment by moment reality that God is saying, listen, you are a, a, a follower of Jesus. You've put your faith in him. You've gone from death to life, right? You've transferred your trust from self to, to him. Now, daily, continually, moment by moment, live that out. By putting off the old and putting on the new, okay. And then in last week, Pastor Krista Hahn did a great job from the Vineyard um, walking out, walking us through the implications of that in verse 25 of what that means to, for us together, right? Putting away falsehood, okay. What it means for us for now, you belong to one another, and now we pick up in verse 26: Be angry and do not sin. Okay, it's as though he's saying everything I just said, this whole truth, this whole incredible good news that we've been seeing and been saturating under, okay, like kind of showering under in Ephesians is now like he says, for example, with anger. Okay, put off the old and put on the new. Now, I don't know why he went with anger, like probably very few of us really relate with that, right? That's not something that we, again, for me personally, I don't, you know, that's not something I could really relate with. But for you guys, I guess I'll, you know, preach through this. No, again, this hits incredibly close to home. And and, and I think Paul puts it in here because he knows, he knows the human heart. He knows his own tendency. And he knows this is something continually when you go about your life as a follower of Jesus, you're going to come up against anger. And so what does it look like to put off the old and put on the new specifically regarding anger? So he says, be angry and do not sin. Well, how do you know? Like, what comes to mind for you personally? Okay, I want to ask all of us here to start okay, thinking, again, kind of ground level here. Okay? Kind of let the r- rubber meet the road, so to speak, and kind of turn off the, you know, theology, kind of higher, higher thinking here and get down into real everyday life. What kind of things make you angry? How do you know if, if you're being angry but not in sin? What does that look like? Um, John Calvin wrote a c- commentary about this, um, through this. He wrote a commentary about a whole bu- bunch of things. And he, um, and he said... Uh, specifically regarding this idea of being angry and not sinning, he gave kind of a three-part grid. Okay, that I want to I think is really helpful for us to kind of walk through to consider: is my anger righteous or is it is it un unholy? Is it sinful? Okay, and he he says this, and I actually have it up here. He says um, consider, evaluate. Even the word used there could be interrogate. All right, really like think really practically here. What, where, where does this like look inward here and lay bare before God and ask, is my anger appropriately caused? Is it appropriately measured? And is it appropriately directed? Okay, so I want to kind of walk through those a bit here because, again, I think this is so practical for us. Is it appropriately caused? All right, just think over your last week. Perhaps think over like the last hour and a half on your way in here, whatever it is. What kinds of things incite anger in you? All right, I'll just kinda, some of you have been here not long enough. In fact, even I was talking to someone a couple months ago who I just assumed knew this. You guys know I broke my hand punching a wall way back when I was like six years old, and that's the last time I was angry. No, it was uh, on a Friday right before I was going to preach up here, and I kind of had no option other than to just be honest and say, uh, I'm not going to be able to shake your hand for about six months or so. So, uh, you know, I'm not, and I could figure a way to kind of explain it away, but instead it was, Man, what really, it was an opportunity, A, to just kind of help us together, me with you, walk through the reality of being, um, being saved by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and the good news of him um, not saying, now get your stuff together and then figure it out, but instead, um, this is what it looks like to be motivated by God's grace, right? For God so uh, demonstrates his love that even while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So is it appropriately caused? What, what caused me to punch a wall? It, I could give you all the external circumstances and probably even get some hugs and handshakes and I'm sorry's out of it. But on a heart level, for me, what it came down to was my world as I desire to structure it was not operating the way it ought to according to my perspective, Right? My home life, my situation with my extended family, different things, whatever it is. But at a heart level, it came down to it was caused, if you will, by the, the world um, under my sovereign rule wasn't obeying me. That's what, what caused it, right? So when we, and again, we could, it could really easily be justified away. And I'm sure there are things that we're angry about here. But, but a good measurement is for us to consider, man, are the things that tend to get me riled up that tend to get me mad, is it coming back to selfishness? Is it coming back to the way I think things ought to be? Okay, is it because I was offended and so now I'm angry? Okay, J- Jesus was angry. But, but we see some common themes in his anger that don't really line up, certainly to my, most of my outbursts of anger. In fact, let's. Um, I want to read some together. It's a fairly long quote, but it's really helpful. Um, I've quoted Paul M- M- Miller before, and we're gonna actually you're gonna be hearing a lot more about him in uh, next year and in kind of times to come because he's he's um, written a lot of really helpful things specifically about the person and work and life of Jesus. And so here's what he says regarding anger. He says, remarkably, Jesus never gets angry when people hurt him. The very point where we might blow our stacks, even on another occasion when the Pharisees call him demon-possessed, he responds matter-of-factly because he holds on to his time and schedule so lightly, he doesn't get irritated at being interrupted. Hmm, uh-oh, <laughs> that's a little uncomfortable, probably doesn't line up with most of us and how we tend to hold our schedules and our calendars, right? He says, yet he gets upset with injustice and hypocrisy in others when compassion is blocked. I love this. His anger is centered on others' welfare. He also gets upset with anything that inhibits faith. The disciples block the faith of the little children. The money changers block the faith of the non-Jews. Jesus gets angry at anything that prevents love to people, compassion, or dependence on God, faith. In a nutshell, Jesus' anger could be wrapped up again in that his anger is centered on others' welfare. So that's a good grid to look through. Is my anger appropriately caused? Was it all about me and how I've been inconvenienced? Or is it about injustice and compassion shown toward others that is being blocked? Is your anger appropriately caused? Next, is your, is your anger appropriately measured? Right? Okay, well, what do I mean by that? I was hanging out with um, a guy, a friend here on Thursday, Chris Heine, and we were talking about kids. We have young kids, and we were um, talking about the things that kids can, can tend to get upset about. And I'm not going to name any names, but one of us was sharing about our kids um, and the things they get r- r- riled up about. And what in, in kind of good godly parenting, what does it look like to kind of navigate those moments? And he was talking about some of the times that, that, that one young kid could get riled up because it's time to stop swimming, right? It's time to get out of the pool or it's time to stop jumping on the trampoline, And and something he shared that was so helpful for me, he said, it's good to acknowledge that grief, right, that anger, if you will. Like, yeah, it is sad to have to stop doing things that are fun and that are helping us, you know, have fun with friends. And again, as a parent, in that moment, we tend to kind of distance kids from actual human beings and just be like, well, don't be upset. Like I said, stop. But it's like, no, that's fun, right? In your small world at that moment, jumping on the trampoline, sw- sw- swimming in the pool is good, is, in- is enjoyable. But if it, if it, like that leads you, if that's um, disproportionate in your response to having to stop swimming, right? You throw a temp tantrum. I don't know. You start, you know, flinging, you know, things all over the place, turning tables, whatever, you know, little kids do in that moment, you know, um, you know, strangling siblings. It's like, whoa, whoa. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It's sad that we have to end. Like it's nighttime. We have to go. I don't want to leave either, but I have to work in the morning and whatever it is, right? Like, yeah, it's appropriate to be upset, but, but it's disproportionate. It's unmeasured if it's, if it's like, I'm now going to just, you know, it's, it's all going down, right? Everyth- everyone's going to pay, experience my wrath for the fact that we have to no longer jump on a trampoline or whatever it is, right? It's, and it's easy to talk about that with kids, right? Oh, silly, like, they'll outgrow that. But what about you and me? What are the things that our anger gets riled up disproportionately? Again, think about it. I, again, this hits so close to home. It's, for me, traffic... Um, talking to a telemarketer on the phone. There's all kinds of things that when I'm removed from it and I'm honest enough to look back at it, I can say, man, that was disproportionate. Like I'm about re- ready to like throw down with someone, you know, because they just took my like couple feet of asphalt, right, in my lane and they didn't ask my permission first or they didn't consider me first. And, they, and you see this, right? You see, or man, I get to coach my son's baseball sometimes. And you see, like there are YouTube videos. I don't know if I recommend looking them up or not, but like grown men literally rolling around on the infield, like scrapping because you know one the umpire said you know whatever and like coach pitch baseball, you know, and it's like all right, who's this about? Clearly not the kids right now, right? Like disproportionately measured. And again, I think it comes back to when it's about me. My selfishness, my comfort, my rights, my pride, my, what I deserve, my entitlement, I can justify away, right? Is it disproportionately measured? Perhaps to maybe compare that with, okay, what does it look like to, to be angry but not to sin? Okay, think about the things you and I do get really mad about compared to the things we, we don't right like there could be a, a broken family that lives next door there could be a kid who's never met his or her father there could be injustice and brokenness in the world around us that we interact with and walk past on a constant basis and and we just kind of move on that doesn't incite any kind of anger that doesn't get us riled up okay the look at maybe what are the things that that we don't care about that don't make us angry compared to the things that do? Is our anger appropriately caused? Is it appropriately measured or proportioned? And then lastly, is it appropriately directed? Again, another aspect of this is when you see in Jesus in that quote from Paul Miller again is, who does he get mad at? What does he get mad at? Right, is it all about the, People and, and whether in our kind of our kind of climate, we get there are different politics on both sides of the aisle that get us, you know, fired up and angry. And should that should that incite anger? Should we get? Should we see injustice and brokenness and sin on all different l- l- levels, and that gets us going? Yes, but again, where do we stop so short that we get really mad and we begin to de-personify the people? And, and not go even deeper and, and, get, and get angry at the sin and the brokenness in the world around us. Right? Again, we, do, we, do we see um, sin show up in our neighborhood and settle for, for just getting mad at the people? And not dig in deeper. Not lay our hearts bare like Jesus and see this isn't the world that, this isn't the, the life that God has called you into. This isn't the way things ought to be. God has so much more for you. All right, what, what, what kinds of things incite, incite our anger? Be angry and do not sin. Again, look it through that, that three-part grid. Is it appropriately caused? Is it appropriately measured? Is it appropriately directed? And then he goes on and says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. All right. When we when we look through anger, when we when we uh, when we lay our hearts before God and we consider, you know, our own our own walks with Him and the in the times that we're angry and things, what it means? Okay, hear me again on this. The whole time of the whole the whole theme of putting off the old and putting on the new is to look through the lenses the way that God sees things. Interact with people. Um, evaluate your own heart according to the way God sees things. And one example of that is to not let the sun go down on your anger. Well, what does that mean, right? Like, if you're from Alaska or N- Norway or somewhere, you know, somewhere where the sun hardly ever goes down in the summer, you're like, oh, you know, loophole. Like, I don't, you know, could be angry all day. You know, okay, I'll I'll catch up with you in October, all right? Like, I've got some time. Like, no, okay, if you, that's not the way this works. What this is, this isn't an exact, or, or on the on the flip side, right, like, you 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 can't have any time in there when it, when it is in the you know in the in the winter time and the sun's hardly ever up it's like man i got to get after this right away no it's it, it's talking about again a deeper heart level reality of evaluating things okay jesus had a lot to say about anger about unreconciled festering anger that uh, let's actually read what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So before I, I read that, let me just give a little bit of backdrop there. The Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell is three chapters where Jesus is, is, is preaching. And what he's preaching is this is the good life. All right, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? When he shows up on the scene, Jesus says, um, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means the way things ought to be has come crashing into the world now, the way things are and are not supposed to be. And Jesus is saying, this is the good life, right? This is the way life ought to be. And so he preaches this, this sermon that fills three chapters and he often says, you've heard it like this, but I say this. You've heard this is the way to do things, but this is really the way the good life is found. And it's often an upside down. It's counterintuitive to the way we would understand things. And he goes on and he, and he talks again, similarly, kind of focuses in on anger. And he says some things that probably we could all use to hear. Like, you think um, it's, as long as you don't kill someone, you're okay. He says, but I tell you, hey, if you have anger in your heart, it's as though you've mm, murdered someone. And he goes on. He talks about like you have settled for this kind of m- 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 manageable, palatable something we could attain. He says, "No, no, no. You need a whole transformation that will show up in this way, when you when you deal with anger." And then. Now, picking up in Matthew 5, verse 23, he says this as he continues to unpack what it looks like to uh, be angry and to not sin and to not let the sun go down in our anger. This is what Jesus says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. That's the equivalent of being here right now at church on Sunday, okay? You're offering your gift, You're coming before God. You're in his presence. That was the idea there in the, in the, in, in, to temple Judaism, you're gathered together. You're going to come forward and take communion. All right. You're in worship. So if you're there and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Okay, he's saying, listen, if you have any kind of bitterness, any kind of you know, anger that's been welling up in your heart, and you just try to dismiss it, no, go after that first. Okay, leave here. Don't just come, don't don't play church in a nutshell. Okay, and in kind of a, a way to think about it, don't slap on a smile and say, oh, everything's good, and yet there's discord between you and your wife. Between you and one of your kids. Okay, someone else in this same room that there's animosity, there's frustration, there's hurt, there's pain, and you just try to brush it aside. Okay, but Jesus would say, and then again over in Ephesians, Paul encourages the church, says, no, if that's going on, don't let the sun go down on that. Okay, don't just, don't keep going on and pretending like everything's okay. And church, hear me, okay, look at me. I've sadly, and this has been hitting more in the last couple of weeks, I've just seen this time and time again. I've seen whole churches where the elder board is at odds with one another, where there's a giant elephant walking around in the room, and I hope you've all heard that phrase, right? Um, There's this elephant in the room, and no one's acknowledging it. No one's calling it out. There are marriages where years and years and years have gone by and no one, no one is stepping up and saying, hey, we got to talk about things. We're not right. All right. It's been a a slow fade, if you will. We've kind of ended up in this place. And where did things go awry? All right. We used to not be able to wait until we had time together, intimacy together. And now we're almost—it's almost awkward when we do. We're kind of looking for, looking for an excuse not to just be alone together. That's not right, and not not necessarily casting blame or saying, not even knowing where to find it yet, but just acknowledge, just kind of calling things like they are. On a church level, on a workplace level, whatever it means. Okay, uh, good. Okay, if you're taking notes, write this verse down. It's incredibly helpful. R- Romans chapter twelve, verse nineteen. Where again, the same author here, Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Right? As much as it comes down to you, to your responsibility, be at peace with all people. Again, like, what does it mean for you? As much as the ball is in your court, handle it the way God has called you to handle it. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're gonna be best friends, that you're gonna have them over for, you know, Super Bowl. Party or, you know, like name your kids after each other or whatever. But it also also means, um, you know, as much as it depends on you, if you're walking in Safeway and you turn the corner and you bump into this person, it's not going to be the most awkward interaction you could ever even think of. All right, it means, and, and, and again, I've heard even in the last weeks, well, it's not my responsibility. Someone else should speak up. Well, someone else who has more influence, more authority, someone else who's more the culprit than I am, really, they should do it. I'm just going to wait. If they, if they offer out and, you know, olive branch, hey, I'll take it. But, I mean, you know, it's not really my responsibility. Or, again, I'm entitled to an apology from them first or all these different things. But again, we... We look at the person and work and life of Jesus as much as it depends on you. Okay, this is gospel-centered. If you, again, if you have a faith in Jesus, it's because he took the initiative. He was entitled to all of our groveling, to our taking the first step, to our saying, I'm sorry, we're the ones that turned away, right? We're told in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, but he, laid on him. Okay, God the Father laid on his only son, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He took the first step. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then, finally as we close, again, hear me now. I pray that this would sink deeply into our hearts, that this is not just a one-off anger sermon. There are eternal, cosmic consequences And he says that in verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. Well, why? Again, if we just zoom in and we missed a whole bigger, bigger picture. Okay, remember the church, all right? God's people together. Remember, we we saw this earlier in Ephesians are. How and where and through whom God, almighty, creator of heaven and earth, decided to make his dwelling place on this earth. The the word used is tabernacled. Okay, God chose to reside on this earth in and through his church. Through our unity together that we just saw that that through the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, he came to break down the dividing wall of Husqvarna between us and God and between us and one another. He came to form a unified people under the person and work and direction and authority of Jesus. So, So God is also wanting to flex his muscle. He's wanting to reveal his glory in and through us. And so if we are divided, if we're angry in sin, if the sun goes down on our anger and then re-rises and then resets and we just continue on and, and, and wallow in division and we don't pursue one another, we don't, as much as it depends on us, live at peace with one another, then God's display, his beautiful display of who he is, his character and his power to the world, seen and unseen, the demonic And to every other person on this earth, he has chosen to reveal himself through us. So he says, listen, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Watch out for the enemy because he wants to divide. And he does. Okay, if you're married in here, hear me. You have an adversary who we're told is prowling around like a lion. He's looking for every little inroad to separate. To divide, he'll even use your kids, right? He'll use your work relationships. He'll use your Facebook and social m- media accounts. He'll use whatever he wants to, whatever he has at his disposal. If we give him a little opportunity, he'll take it in there. He'll, if we give him an inch, he'll take a mile. He'll take 10. He wants to divide, he wants to destroy. Among our church, in your workplace, in your community, Don't sit on anger. Don't be tethered to it. Again, in closing, what do we do with this? Evaluate. No, even maybe more significantly, let's, as we go before God, let's even pray and consider what does it look like to interrogate the anger that you and I walk with? What does it look like to put that off and to put on the new person created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared beforehand. What does it look like for us to interrogate what makes us angry? Is it appropriately caused? Is it appropriately proportioned? Is it appropriately directed? And let's, uh, let's give no opportunity to the devil in our lives individually and in our lives communally to seek and destroy that which God has called for his glory and our joy and others' good. All right, let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for um, this time we've had together. Lord, we pray that your good news would shape us. Lord, we pray that again, as we asked even at the beginning here, that you would work among us, that whatever needs to be encouraging would be encouraging. Lord, that through your spirit, whatever needs to convict would convict Lord, we pray that you would protect us. I pray that even now, if you're married or with a family member or someone close, just even reach over and grab their hand. Lord, I pray that you um, you would bring together that which the enemy seeks to divide and separate. Lord, I pray that you would protect us, that we would be, as you say, Lord Jesus, in that same Sermon on the Mount, that we, as your reconciled people, would be uh, a shining light like a city that is set upon the hill, Lord, that we would um, not let the, the l- l- light be hidden, Lord, and be put under a lampstand, but that it would actually be put on the table. It would give light to all who are watching, Lord, so that um, the whole world would see um, uh, uh, your good works through us and glorify you. Lord, protect us from division, protect us from unrighteous anger. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.